You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 32 is where we're going to be. Don't stand just yet. I'm going to give you background before we get into the message this morning. In Genesis 32, we're going to finish the second half of the chapter today. Uh, We were in the first half last week and kind of looked at the buildup of Jacob leaving his uncle Laban and heading back home. He's moving along with God's program and he's, he's going home, but he has one big hurdle in his path and that is his brother Esau. See, the last time that Jacob saw Esau was about 20 years before this and Jacob had just deceived his father and taken the blessing that Esau felt was his. And Esau was saying, I'm going to kill you when our father dies. That's the last, the last contact that Jacob had with his brother Esau is a vow to kill him. And, in those 20, and so his mother said, okay, well, just go away for a few days. Just leave for a few days and get away and let him cool down. And, and that few days turned into 20 years. So 20 years with Uncle Laban. 20 years living a a difficult life out in the wilderness, taking care of sheep and goats, having his wages changed over and over because Laban was not a stand-up guy. But even in the middle of all the trouble, God blessed Jacob immensely. Jacob has an immense amount of wealth. He's got flocks of sheep and goats, and, and he's got a family, and God has blessed him. And God finally said, okay, your time with Laban is done. It's time for you to go back home. It's time for you to leave the land that you're not supposed to be in and get home. And listen, it's time for somebody in this room this morning to get home and go back to God. And even if you make that decision, just understand there will be hurdles along the way. As a matter of fact, I think that's when the hurdles begin. When you say, I'm going to do right. I'm going to get back where I'm supposed to be. And then the hurdles pop up. Esau is now the hurdle in Jacob's way. And in case you wonder, well, they're brothers. No, Esau is nothing to sneeze at. The Bible says he's a man's man. The Bible says he was a cunning hunter. Jacob was a man, a plain man that dwelt in tents. And Esau is a man's man in the field. If you wonder if Esau is, is, is he really a threat, listen, he was born looking like a bear rug. His name means hairy. Okay, if you're wondering if Esau is somebody to be afraid of, that should tell you. So Jacob is coming back home and he knows he has to see Esau. And while and at the beginning of our chapter here in chapter 32, he comes to this place and God reveals this, this vision of angel warriors in the sky. And, and Jacob looks up and sees these warriors, these angels. And you know what? It's God's way of telling him, I'm with you. You have my protection. And Jacob, it, it should give him some sense of comfort and some kind of confidence. And I imagine that it does. He calls it Mahanaim, which means camp of God. This is where God's base camp is. And so he wakes up the next morning probably feeling well. And then he sends his, uh, some messengers to Esau and says, I'm coming. So his messengers go to Esau and they come back and, and they say, okay, Jacob, we found Esau. And he says, okay, what did he say? Well, it's not really what he said. It, it, we have to tell you something. And Jacob's like, okay, what? And he said, he's got 400 guys with him. 
I think last week, week the Hebrew word was dudes. 400 dudes. <laughs> Meaning Esau's not alone. So Jacob is looking at the camp in the sky, these angel warriors, and he's thinking about Esau these, and his 400 warriors, and then he looks around at his camp, and you know, in that moment, you would think, okay, angel warriors, or I've got a petting zoo. He's got goats and sheep, and he's got a family, and he's got children, and you know, in that moment, he could have trusted that camp or his camp, and you know what he did? He trusted his camp. He starts scheming like he always does. He takes matters into his own hands and he starts sending gifts to Esau, waves, droves of animals to Esau, one after another after another. And he says that I may appease my brother. Not that I'll let God take care of it because they've got, I've got God and angel warriors in the sky. No, I, maybe these goats will help. Maybe this, these sheep will help. Maybe these camels will be a help. And so he trusts his camp instead of God's camp. And he's wringing his hands and he's wondering, is, that, is this going to work out? Are my resources enough? Well, I'm just telling you today, your resources are not enough. There will be problems in your life that you can't handle in your own strength. And that's what he's discovering. And we're going to start reading here in verse 22. Let's stand together as we, as we read God's word, Genesis chapter 32, and we'll begin in verse 20, well, let's begin in verse 21. So, so went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night, and took his two wives, and his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them, and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, the angel, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Israel, or Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And this is a strange story. You know, but I just, Jacob has been a lot of things in his life. He's been, he's been a heel grabber. Uh, he's been a stew maker. He's been a costume wearer. He's been a stone roller. He's been a surprise honeymooner. He's been a drama referee. He's been a, a, a patient son-in-law. He's been a runner, he's been a scared brother, he's been a 
zookeeper. But his label in this passage is the one, really, what he becomes most known for is that Jacob is now a wrestler. And this is the story that most defines his life. Of all the things that defines Jacob, this one does. It's a turning point for him. This is when his name changes. This is when his walk changes. Everything changes for Jacob on this night. But, but like some of us, God has to wrestle with us to get our attention. Amen. And for Jacob, it took all night. And for some of us, it took years. And for some of you, it's taking years. Jacob's not the only stubborn one out there. But the question that we must answer is this. Who are you? You see, God can finally begin to do his work in us when we are ready to admit who we really are. You can't change if you refuse to admit who you are. And this morning I'm asking the question, Jacob, who are you? Friend, who are you? It's not until you come to the point that you admit who you are that God can change your life. And he wants to do that this morning. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. And pray that you'd help us to engage. I pray that you'd help us to be free from distraction. And God, we need your word. We need your, this truth. We need your Holy Spirit to work in us. And I pray that you'd give us real freedom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read this week about the uh, 1912 Olympics. I don't think anybody in here remembers those. But the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, there, was, uh, there were two wrestlers, one by the name of Martin Klein of Russia and another by the name of August Asagainen of Finland. And they were facing off in the semifinals of the middleweight wrestling tournament there at the Olympics. There were three wrestlers left and uh, one of them had a bye the first, the first round and these two were wrestling each other for a chance to go up against a man named Claes Johansson of Sweden for a gold medal. So no one was prepared for the match that followed, though. These two Greco-Roman wrestlers uh, faced each other in, outside in the scorching sun, is how they did it back then. And they were so evenly matched that their match took 11 hours and 40 minutes. Klein, finally, Klein of Russia, finally pinned his opponent to the mat in the sun after almost 12 hours. The longest wrestling match in history. And I typed that into Google and said the longest wrestling match in history. And it tried to talk about like WWE matches and things like that. I'm like, that is not real wrestling. I'm sorry. For those of you that are committed to that, we need to set up some counseling sessions. Okay, so... No, I'm, I'm talking about uh, uh, real wrestling. And these guys weren't just wrestling in an air-conditioned building. They were in the sun. And I imagine that their sunburns were pretty bad after 11 hours and 40 minutes. You know, these, unfortunately, the link of that match came at a cost because Martin Klein, who won the match, was supposed to wrestle the next day against Johansson, but he had to forfeit his match because he was so exhausted he couldn't even stand after the match was over. Can you imagine wrestling for that long in the sun? 
Uh, if, if you wrestle for one minute, it's exhausting. But this is 11 hours and 40 minutes. And in order to do that, you'd have to have some serious resolve. And, and most of the time, you know, we lift up that kind of fortitude. We say, well, man, if I, could, if, if I had that kind of resolve, if, if only I could have that kind of determination. And that's something that we, we all think we should strive for. And it is maybe in a setting like that. If only, though, we had that kind of resolve at work. I mean, how many people actually give eight hours of work in a day? Hey, if only we had that kind of resolve when it comes to a diet or exercise or watching your child's t-ball game. Okay, we're not going to go there. <laughs> in doing something that truly matters, though. See, unfortunately, most of our resolve shows up in, our, in negative ways. See, it comes down to, uh, it comes out in our stubbornness our unwillingness to back down in an argument. It shows up in our pride, and most of us are far more resolved when it comes to not admitting we're wrong than we are in the basic Christian disciplines. Right. And we know what it's like to be resolved, but many of us are most resolved in the things we probably wish we could change. I'm very consistent when it comes to my bad habits. And I want to change those, but those are hard. No, Jacob is that kind of a guy. He is a resolved person, and he's shown it in both positive and negative ways. I mean, he's shown his resolve in that he stayed for 20 years with Laban, and Laban changed his wages over and over. And Laban was, was ripping him off and, and putting him in a tough position. And he shows resolve there in the, in the, in the positives, but he also shows the resolve in the negatives. I mean, he was so determined to get a blessing that, that he manipulated his brother and he deceived his father and, and he, he's resolved, but he's got to fix the resolve in the negative ways. God had to bring Jacob to a place where he could be broken of that extremely strong will. And he has to start by getting Jacob alone. Verse 24, it says in, in chapter 32, 24, and Jacob was left alone. And after sending the gifts and his family across the river, Jacob somehow is left alone for the night. And, and, and alone time, listen, alone time with God is essential to his work in our lives. Yeah, we're so busy and we have so many distractions that sometimes God can't do his work because there's competition. There's always a screen on. Now listen, when's the last time that it was just you and God and your Bible and nobody else and it was just you trying to get God's mind or get God's heart or get right with God about something? Listen, uh, turn your phone off or put it away and open your Bible and let God speak. Sometimes you need to be just alone. And we find here that Jacob needed to be alone for this to finally get fixed in his life. He was alone, all alone, and, and he's terrified and everything he's worked to build. I mean, I don't know exactly the layout here, but, but it seems like, it sounds like he sends his family ahead and he stays over on the other side. And it's that, it's here that God comes to him. But I wonder, I wonder if he can look out over uh, his family and he sees his his wife and his children, he sees all of his flocks and he, he sees all of these things. And I, I, I wonder if it, he's thinking, I could lose all this tomorrow. I mean, if Esau comes with 400 men, I mean, that sheep's not going to help. 
Those camels are nice, but against 400 warriors? I mean, I, I love my, my, my wives and my children. And by the way, that's not the way God planned it. It's the way that Jacob did it. But it's one man, one woman for life. And Jacob decided to take matters into his own hands uh, because of uh, Laban's trickery. And, you know, all of that was just a mess. But that sounds weird for me to say. I love my wives and my children. Okay, I just wanted to explain that. But he's looking out. He says, this, this is everything I know. This is everything I love. And it could be gone tomorrow and he's terrified. And he's left to himself and he's left thinking about these things and he's alone. But he's not alone for long because it says there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This man came along and you say, that's so strange. I mean, I, I mean I'm not expecting that. If I hadn't heard that story before, I would be surprised by that. Jacob's alone and then, oh yeah, and then a guy came and wrestled with him. It's just kind of out of the blue. I, you might as well say a guy came along and challenged him to the daily Wordle. You know, I mean, it's like, if you know anything about Wordle, by the way, don't get into that because it's addictive once you do. But, you know, it's just random. He comes to him and he's like, uh, he starts wrestling with him. And a lot of people have turned this story into this account of Jacob really seeking God and and, and really, uh, you know, uh, we should pray with this kind of resolve. And, and, and yet, Jacob didn't start the wrestling match. God came in the form of a man. And I believe it's a, it's a theophany. It's, a, it's an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He comes to him and God starts wrestling with Jacob. God, he came to him. It's not like Jacob went and said, I've got something I need to talk to you about. No, so what that lets us see is that, is that God has something to teach Jacob. There's a lesson for him to learn. And Jacob, his resolve is strong. This wrestling match goes all night. It's like the 1912 Olympics all over again. And Jacob is one of those guys uh, that just won't give up. He's probably, at this point, he's almost 100 years old, I think. Can you imagine being 100 years old and being able to wrestle all night? Can you imagine being 44 years old and being able to wrestle for five minutes? It's just another example of his stubborn will. He's in a fight he can't win, but he won't give in. He wrestled until the breaking of the day. In verse 25 uh, and when he saw, when, when, when God saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He's so intent and resolved on not giving up that, that God has to do something to his hip. And before I, 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 we move on, I have to ask, what's going on? Why in the middle of the night does God show up and start wrestling? Well, he has a lesson to teach him. God shows up because he wants to give Jacob something important. He wants to help him with something. And God wants to teach him a lesson, but what? Well, I, I feel like in order to really give you clarity on this, that I need, I need to show, I, we need to show you a wrestling match. So I asked Brother Juan to be part of this because Brother Juan is a wrestler and and all of that. I mean, he does a lot of stuff, but, but that's something that he does. And so I'm going to have Brother Juan come on up. And I was thinking about having Blessing come because Blessing's like a state champion, almost wrestler. 
But then there's somebody else in that row I thought may be more appropriate. So I'm going to have Noah. Why don't you come up here? And Noah is on a survey trip this week. And uh, we'll just have you come stand right here in front of the pulpit. This is Angie's friend, okay? The whole world knows now, by the way. Cameras. So I figured these two guys, this might be a good way to get to know each other. So... So God comes in the middle of the night and we're going to have Brother Juan represent the man that comes and, and you get to be Jacob, okay? All right, so, so he comes in the middle of the night and, and, and he starts wrestling with, with Jacob and, and Jacob is, has such resolve, he won't give up and he refuses to give in and he, he won't tap out, if you will. And so the Bible says that that the man reached out and touched his hip and basically knocked his hip out of joint so that he could no longer wrestle. And you say, but what about, it says though, uh, that the, the man had to say, let me go, it's time to let me go. What do, you, what do you say about that? What does that mean? Because, you know, it sounds like he just won't give up wrestling, but I don't believe that's exactly what was happening. So I'm just going to have you guys kind of get in a wrestling stance and like you're wrestling and go ahead and go ahead and grab each other. Might as well get close. There you go. I want this to go on for a while, but I'm not going to let it. Okay, so let's say in the middle of it after 11 hours and 40 minutes that the man reaches out and touches his hip. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, hold on, hold on. So once you touch the hip, though, listen, once the hip gets touched, if your hip is out of joint... You can't stand anymore. You don't have strength, okay? But listen, but, but pay attention here. I want you to get the picture. See, the picture is that the man says, let me go. So they're wrestling. His hip is out of joint, but he's still holding on to the man. Go ahead. You got to put your arms around him. Hold on. Up top, up top. He's holding on to the man. See, listen, it's not that Jacob kept on wrestling. It's that at some point when God took away Jacob's resources, Jacob was left clinging to God. He wasn't still wrestling. He's just, uh, so hang on him as if you can't stand. There we go. There's the picture I was hoping for. See, there you go. That'll go on the family Christmas cards in a, in someday. Okay. So, so, okay, go ahead and stand. This is, that's too, too fun. So, no, but listen, I want you to get, I know it's silly, but what I want you to get is that at some point, God had to say to Jacob, he had to say, okay, if you're going to keep striving and you're going to keep wrestling and you're not going to give up on this, then I'm going to take away your resources. Right. I'm going to take away that which is it, you're leaning on to help you stand. So he touches his hip and now his hip's out of joint. And now God is saying, okay, you can't stand on your own anymore. The only way you're going to stay up is if you hold on to me. So Jacob is no longer wrestling. Instead, he had to stop wrestling and start clinging to God because he, because he had nothing else left to stand on. Right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I would love to keep going with that. but See, that's the idea that's happening here. When Jacob wouldn't quit, God says, okay, then I'm going to take away everything you have. When Jacob wouldn't quit, God says, okay, I, I will take away your ability to stand. For a hundred years, you've been able to stand in your own strength. 
For a hundred years, you've, you've leaned on your strength. You've been a strong man. You've been able to do what you wanted to. You've been self-sufficient. You've trusted in your own strength. But I'm going to take that away. So now all you're left with is clinging to me with no power to stand. And when he was saying, Jacob was saying, I will not let thee go. It's not like he was saying, I, you know, I, I need this prayer answered. No, he's saying, I will not let you go because if I do, I'm just going to fall on the ground. I will not let you go because if I let you go, I've got nothing left to stand on. And that is what's, in my opinion, what is happening in this wrestling match. Jacob is asking for something significant. He's asking for God's blessing. But notice, he's not trying to make God bless him. He's not trying to wrestle his way into a blessing like, you, like some might think. No, he's at the end of himself. And he now knows that the only thing that matters in life is God's blessings on him. And it's at this point that God asks him this very important question. What's thy name? And why would God ask Jacob his name? Because if this is God in the flesh, God already knew Jacob's name. So if, if, if somebody comes to you and if you, if you raise my parents, then you know sometimes they ask questions they already know the answer to. They just want to hear what you have to say about it. So, so what happened to the wall in your bedroom? <laughs> and they already know. But they're trying to find out if you're going to be honest about it. By the way, kids, be honest about it. Because parents have eyes and spies everywhere. So God comes and he says, what is thy name? He knows Jacob's name. He just wants to see if Jacob is willing to finally admit who he is. And I want you to lock in and get this picture here. It's almost as if God had brought Jacob to the same point he was at 20 years before. See, 20 years before, Jacob went into his father dressed like Esau. And his father, Isaac, said, who art thou, my son? And back then, Jacob said, I'm Esau. I'm your firstborn. 20 years old, um, earlier, Jacob couldn't admit who he was. Jacob was a deceiver and he was trying to manipulate his way through life and he was a supplanter, he was a heel grabber, he's trying to get what he wanted but this time he answers honestly and when God in the flesh says what is thy name, for the first time maybe in Jacob's life he is completely honest with God, he says my name is Jacob and I don't believe he stood there and said I am Jacob and I took you all night in this wrestling match no I believe it was more like holding on to God, he, God says what's thy name and he says my name is Jacob I'm the supplanter. I'm the deceiver. I tricked my brother out of the birthright. I deceived my father out of the blessing. I'm the man who lies. I'm the man who cheats. I'm the man who takes what I want and I do things my way. I'm the man who has to face my brother tomorrow and I deserve whatever happens to me. I'm Jacob, but I'm tired of being Jacob. I'm ready to be done being Jacob. I'm tired of being self-sufficient. I'm tired of living life on my own. I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm tired of dealing with the consequences of my own dumb decisions. I'm Jacob, but I'm tired of being Jacob. And all he, has to, all he can do is hold on to God. It's all he has left. And God brings Jacob to the point of finally confessing 
who he truly is. And Jacob is a sinner. He is a deceiver. He isn't the kind of guy that gives in. And not in a good way. He's wrestled with God his whole life. But at this moment, it's a turning point because Jacob finally admits who he is. And he finally realizes that God's blessing is the only thing that makes his life matter. I mean, if you're hanging there and you're hanging on to God, you've got nothing else to stand on. God, please bless me. If I don't get your blessing, I have nothing left. That's the idea. God bless me. I, I don't have any strength left. I can't even stand anymore. If I don't have you, I have absolutely nothing. And in verse 28, God gives Jacob a new name. Israel. And there's plenty of discussion about what, what this means. But one common meaning is God prevails. Or God commands. And that's a fitting name for Jacob. Because he has finally surrendered to God and God prevails. God basically says, you've been contending for so long, you've succeeded. You've contended with your birth, for the birthright, you got it. You contended for the blessing, you got your way. You contended with Laban, and you succeeded. And you've contended with men, and you've had success. You've prevailed. But now you see that when you contend with me, it's pointless. Your, your name is now Israel. And I want it to be a reminder, every time you say your name, that God, it's a way to remind you that God prevails over me. What does the man say? Well, he says, for as a prince has thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. It's a picture of what Jacob will become as Israel. It, he, he will be an influential servant of God. But it says Jacob had power with God and prevailed. Does that mean that Jacob won the wrestling match? Not at all. Prevailed means to contend or persevere. And it means that when Jacob could do nothing except cling, he refused to let go. So his resolve to wrestle turned into a resolve to hold on to God. Amen. And we need to translate our resolve to fight against God when he wants us to surrender, to surrender to something. When we finally do surrender it, we need to take that same resolve and hold on as tightly as we can. Because we have nothing else to stand on. We have nothing else to lean on. We have no other options except to hold on to God. And listen, you can't gain God's favor by wrestling with him. He will always win. But you can gain God's favor when at the end of yourself, you cling to him so tightly that you refuse to let go. See, God's not looking for wrestlers, but he is looking for clingers. Somebody that will hold on. James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Listen, if you're at the end of yourself and all you have left is to hold on to God, he doesn't ever push you away. Amen. If you will just... At the end of yourself, say, God, you're all I have and you're all I need and I don't have anything else except you I have nothing left and I can't let you go because you're all I have. That's when you start living with the right kind of mentality as a Christian. I've got nothing in myself. I have no power. I have no strength. I have no wisdom. God, if I don't have you helping me, I literally, I have nothing. It was when Jacob finally came to the end of himself himself. 
that God said, your name is no longer Jacob. It's no longer deceiver. You are now Israel, commanded by God. And God wants to teach Jacob that the only life of blessing comes when we are wholly dependent on God. The name Jacob represented self-dependence and the name Israel represents God-dependence. So who are you? Friend, who are you? Are you Jacob or are you Israel? Are you Jacob and self-dependent? Living in your own strength, self-sufficient. You do your own thing. You make your own decisions. You call the shots. You're in control. You, you, you let uh, other people know that you're the boss. Or are you Israel and that you're letting God command your life? Are you facing a situation that in which you're struggling to let God be in control? Because we do face those situations. Just like, you know, we have our own Esau's. And it's a crisis and it's bigger than we can handle. But we think we've got to do it on our own. So we try and we fail. You've got an issue in your life, uh, some situation you can't control, like your finances are out of control, or you've got a health need that is out of control, or maybe it's just the daily responsibilities and you're trying to manage without the Lord's help. Maybe you serve here at the church and, and you're involved and you're trying to just keep up, but you feel like you're, you're underwater and you can't do it. Maybe you've got to be setting sin in your life and it's tripped you up time and time again. And maybe it's a young person and you say, well, this is what I want to do with my life, but I feel like God wants me to go this direction and I'm afraid to say yes to that. But it's not just young people. Maybe it's somebody who's lived a little while and you think, well, God could never use me in a bigger way. Well, why not? God wants to use plenty of people that have some experience and have some seasoning. And listen, I wouldn't be surprised at all if God wants to call some man, some family out of Eastside Baptist Church and start a church in some town in South Dakota that needs a gospel witness. But we're so entrenched and we're such Jacobs. We think, well, no, I'm in control of my life. I could never say yes to something like that. Except that maybe God wants you to. Maybe God's calling our young people and maybe he doesn't call as many of our young people because those of us that are seasoned veterans, we're not as willing to surrender to those kinds of things. But maybe we're too much like Jacob. Maybe we're too much in control of all of the things of our lives and, and we don't want to give those up and if we give them to God, who knows what's going to happen. Listen, who are you? Because if you're a Jacob, you're in control and you're in control. You don't, you don't really want to change your work schedule so that you could be at church or you're in control. You don't want to give that up and, and not make as much money. You're in control and you're wrestling with God over this. You're trying to manage your life without his help and it'll only wear you down because you're limited and you can't handle it all on your own. Maybe it's time to stop trying to do it all without God's help and let him change your name. Maybe you need to become an Israel and let God prevail. Let God command and release the pressure of whatever you're trying to, to control and let God prevail in your life. But Jacob lives life on his own and he handles his own problems in his own wisdom and he doesn't ask for help and he doesn't spend time every morning. By the way, Christians, we can be Jacobs in that we, we, we wake up and we're too busy to pray. 
We're too busy to seek God's wisdom out of his word. And we live life every day without God's help. We're Jacob then. Self-dependent. But in Israel says, I can't. I'm limited. I need God's help. Israel searches the scripture for God's wisdom and lives by that. Israel gets counsel before big decisions. And Israel assumes that every day is too big for him. And Israel prays the prayer uh, to Jesus Christ, give us the, that Jesus Christ said, give us this day my daily bread, because if I don't have you, I've got, I don't have enough. Lord, I have no strength, I have no wisdom, I have no help, even if it's not a big thing, it's too big for me. Listen, there's not a day in your life that you don't have to be dependent on the Lord. Stop being Jacob and be Israel. Come to the end of yourself and let God change your name. I look around the room and we've got a, a good group here this morning. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in here this morning came in here and you came in here without Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to apply it here because I, I feel led to do this this morning. You came in as a Jacob. You see, uh, getting to heaven, in your mind, getting to heaven has always been something you think it's up to me. And I've got to work and I've got to get busy, and I have to, as long as my good works outweigh my bad works. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to be a good person. That's usually what most people say. When you ask them, hey, do you know if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven? Most people say, oh, I'm a good person. That's why I'd go to heaven. Well, I'm telling you, being a good person, you can try to be a good person all you want. It will never be enough to get you into heaven. It, your problem is not your good works. Your problem is your sin. And your sin has separated you from God. All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's up here. We're up here. And like gravity, our sin keeps us away from God. We have no hope to bridge that gap on our own. If you're trying to do it with good works, you will never get there. It's too much. It's like if I was to take you outside, outside of this building and say, okay, what I want you to do is with your own two feet, I want you to jump and land on the roof of our building. You'd say, well, that's silly. I could never do that. You'd say, that's impossible. Well, I, I would say, okay, well, imagine then something far greater than that. That is you trying to get to heaven on your own. You cannot possibly do it. You need some help. And as a matter of fact, if you die in your sin, the Bible says that you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And hell, some people think, is just kind of a made-up imaginary place. But Luke 16, Jesus Christ talked all about it. And it's a real place and it exists right now. And if you die without Jesus Christ, if you die in a car accident on your way home today, or if you die tomorrow, or if you die next week and you die without Jesus Christ, the Bible says the penalty for sin, the wage for sin is death, and you will spend eternity forever separated from God in a place called hell. And see, Jacob's will, will hear that and they'll keep pursuing their good works. They'll hear that and they'll keep wrestling with God and saying, okay, but I still think I can do this. I'll be the exception to this rule. Well, no, you will not be the exception to this rule. No man has ever worked his way to heaven. There's only one person that ever came to this earth and lived and died sinless, and his name is Jesus Christ. He lived and died sinless, and on the third day he rose again, 
proving his power over death and hell. And he makes that power available to you. And if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, he'll take you to heaven for eternity. And you don't have to worry about the good works because they were never going to be enough in any way. Jesus Christ said it is finished. He's done all the work you need him to. And all he requires of you is to place your faith in Jesus Christ to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. You can do that this morning. Jesus Christ makes it available to you. And listen, it's been a while since we had somebody submit themselves in a service and say, I will be saved this morning. I come this morning, place my faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't want the success of our service to be dependent on that. But I just want you to let, to let you know, you can do that anytime you want. Honestly, we'd pause the service if you said, I need to get saved right now. We'd stop everything. And we take some, have somebody take you to a side room and show you out of the Bible, not Eastside Baptist Church, but out of the Bible how you can be saved this morning. Amen. And somebody that's coming here this morning, you're a Jacob, you're trying to do it all on your own and get to heaven without any help, you'll never do it. And what God does is he'll eventually take everything away from you and get you to the place where you realize, I've got nothing else to stand on. All, the only thing I have left is God. And when you finally get to that place, that's when you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you do that this morning? Would you just come to the end of yourself like, Jacob, I'm a Jacob. I've been trying to do this on my own and I'm wrestling with God and I'm not prevailing. He'll take it all away and remind you that he's in control. But before you get there, why don't you just submit? Say, God, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of wrestling. I'm weary. I'm, I'm weary. I, I don't have strength and energy. And I lay awake at night wondering if I've done enough. And it's not enough. It could happen in the Christian life too. And we, we try to live life without God. And what we do is we come to the end of ourselves like he, Jesus said in Matthew 11. He said, listen, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest under your souls. And there may be a Christian here who's in the same boat. And your name this morning is Jacob and you're tired of being Jacob. And it's time to become Israel. Let God change your label. Stop being self-dependent and be God-dependent. Because with God, listen, the only way to win is to give in. It's time to tap out. That's what they say in wrestling. Tap out. Well, you just won't give up and you're just going to keep fighting. No, listen, tap out. And here's why. Because if you notice, at the end of the chapter, it talks about Jacob. God had to, had to change his, his walk. He reached out and he touched his thigh and knocked his thigh out of joint. And he, his hip, he couldn't walk anymore. Not like he used to. And he walked with a limp, and it became, that became what he was known as. But you know what? It's kind of like in re with wrestlers. If you ever notice, wrestlers, they have this cauliflower ear. For a wrestler, it's a badge of honor. But look at my ears. They look like mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know, I mean, for a, it's a badge of honor for a wrestler. But you know what it is? It's actually a scar. And, and, uh, you know, it's fine if that's what you want. But you know, we have scars when it comes to wrestling with God and that we refuse to tap out. 
We refuse to give in and we just keep going. And at some point he has to do something in our lives that's a major consequence. And, and yeah, we may get things right, but we, deal, we have to have scars. And you know what? Listen, you know the best thing you can do is tap out before the scars have to come. Tap out before he has to do something major in your life to get your attention. Listen, he wants to change your name. And when it comes to changing your name, everything that comes with it is really good. So you get that or you can have a scar. Walk with a limp because you refuse to give in to God. Listen, the best way to win when it comes to God, the best way to win is just to give in. Tap out. Let him have his way. Let him have his way with your life as a Christian. Let him have his way with your life as as an unsaved person. If you've come in here this morning and you're not saved, listen, as the invitation begins, I'm going to beg you, because you don't know if you have tomorrow, I'm going to beg you, would you please respond? Somebody with a Bible will take you and show you, listen, this is how you know you're on your way to heaven if you die. And God can change your name this morning. From Jacob to Israel, it's really all about surrender. It's all about tapping out. So my question this morning, who are you? Are you Jacob or are you Israel? What's your Esau? Maybe it's time to identify the problem that you feel you've got to get, have to be in control of and let that go. Third question is, would you give it to God? Whatever it is that is your issue that you've got to hold on to, would you release it to God? Would you tap out and give in? With God, the best way to win is to give in. Would you do it this morning? Let's stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we begin this invitation here this morning. Is there something in your life that you're holding on to that you should not be holding on to? It's a sin, it's a problem, it's an issue, it's a financial problem, it's a relationship, it's a health issue. I don't know what it is, but you're holding on to it thinking you've got the answers and you don't. You can't do anything about it. You need God's help and it's time to release it. Is it a call on your life? It's time to let it go, release it, and let God handle it. Listen, if you come in here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, you've come in as Jacob and you're holding on to your works, you're holding on to your baptism, you're holding on to something Listen, it will not ever be enough. It's time to release that and say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I, re- I will place my faith in his payment and his finished work. And listen, you could be saved this morning. Let God change your name. Whatever it is you're holding on to that you've been dependent on yourself for, release it this morning. And when you give in, that's when you win. Father, I pray that you work in our lives Use the invitation, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that draw men to yourself. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know if they died today, they'd be on their way to heaven. Pray that you give them courage to step out and place their faith in you. For the Christians, Lord, help them to surrender and submit their, whatever it is that they're holding on to, to submit that to you and realize it's better off in your hands. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.